On behalf of all of us at Pleasant Street, we're so glad that you could be worshiping with us today. Jesus is not dead. He has been raised from the dead. This great day comes from great and immense tragedy. And so for those of us this morning who know what it is to lose, to suffer, to feel despair or emptiness, to feel lost, and like you don't know which end is up, I have good news for you. This day is for you, and the Lord is risen. Let's worship together. Would you please rise? Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. In our anguish, we cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting us free. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. The Lord is our strength and our song. He has become our salvation. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. We will not die to live, and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. This is the day the Lord has made. Oh, no. 
to that stone was moved for good for the land that conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who'd come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. With full hearts and minds and voices, we praise you, all powerful Creator, and your only Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. For Christ has ransomed us with his blood and paid for us the debt of sin. This is our Passover feast, when Christ, the true Lamb, was slain. Heavenly powers, sing, choir of angels, Jesus Christ, our King, is risen. Lord God, how wonderful your care for us, how boundless your merciful love to ransom a slave you gave your Son, whom we see rising from the grave. The power of this day dispels all evil, washes our guilt, restores lost innocence, brings joy to mourners, it casts out hatred, brings us peace, and humbles earthly pride. Gracious God, receive our morning sacrifice of praise. May these Easter candles always dispel the darkness of night. May the morning star that never sets find this flame still burning. Christ, who came back from the dead and shed his peaceful light on all creation, Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Oh, yeah. 
Christ be with you all. Please take a moment to just greet your neighbors and you may be seated after that. Chuck McGrath, and uh, I'm one of the elders here at Pleasant Street. Uh, it is my honor this morning to lead us in morning prayer. So please join me in prayer as we offer our praise and thanksgiving to intercede with God, to God. God of bright morning star, God of rising sun, God of darkness banished, we praise and worship you. 
for empty tombs, thank you. For disciples running with good news, thank you. For presence, alive, powerful, resurrected, thank you. We celebrate your victory over death, over the powers that would defeat us. Help us to grasp the resurrection, to understand its power, to see its force at work in our world, overturning evil empires, changing the hatred within us, moving the world slowly, forcefully, bending us towards love and truth on this day of great gladness. Empower us to be your ambassadors, proclaiming good news, good news in our kitchens, our living rooms, good news in our offices and workshops, good news in the fields and factories. Help us to be that good news, walking softly on this good earth, caring gently for all people, living hopefully into your kingdom. Today we think about all who are grieving. We think of the sick and dying. Today we lift up Debbie V and Shirley V as they get ready for surgeries this week in anticipation. We ask that you be with them and put your power upon them and your presence in their minds. For the places in the world that are torn by war and bloodshed, our prayers are with Ukraine. Be with the people of Ukraine, Lord. We pray for your church throughout the world, those that are persecuted for spreading your word. Please be with our ministries and ministry services. Use them to bring your light into the world. We thank you for our volunteers, our teachers. We pray for our youth, our youth leaders, our musicians, and the staff here at Pleasant Street Church, and others who serve. Thank you for their faithful service. Please bless our pastor, elders, and deacons as they serve. Be with those who could not be with us today. We ask a blessing on the sermon this morning. Open our eyes that we may hear and be blessed by your word. In this world of broken hopes and dreams, we catch sight of your kingdom come in the person of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with us forever. Amen. Good morning. The Lord be with you all. It's such a good turnout. I don't remember having this many people, you know, for a long time. This morning's reading is from John 20, verses 1 through 10. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulchre, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulchre. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then he went in also that the other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Brothers and sisters, this is the good word of the Lord. Thanks. Friends, good morning once again. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, on Good Friday, everything good about you went into the tomb with you, and we were in despair. This morning, the tomb is open, and everything about you is more true than we can imagine. We give thanks to you, Lord. For you are good and your mercy endures forever. 
Send your Holy Spirit to us now, O God, and please make the resurrection of Jesus spiritually real to our hearts. Open our eyes that we might see, and seeing, understand, and understanding, believe, and believing that we might follow you in all faithfulness and obedience in the way that you have made for us through your body. Amen. They say it's the most wonderful time of the year, and everyone is gearing up for the big holiday. Yes, it's beginning to look a lot like Easter. Store windows at the mall, maybe you've noticed they've put out little crucifix scenes in the display cases. Toy trains wind their way around model cities of Jerusalem and over a little miniature Golgotha hill. And the commercials that you're hearing on the radio and on TV, well, they all advertise car sales that are worth getting out of your tomb for. And the Easter music, oh, don't even get me started, right? Everywhere you go, Christ the Lord is risen today is playing all the time on every station, everywhere. It starts even before President's Day now. And every year there's there's that Starbucks cup controversy, right? This year, is Starbucks going to put crosses on their cups or is it going to be Easter bunnies? As far as I can say, let's keep the E in Easter, folks. And everywhere you go, there are the lines, right? Grocery store, lines, the bank, lines, the post office, lines, everyone getting out those last-minute Easter packages before the deadline, And everyone wants to be first in line. Come on, folks, it's not like we don't all have somewhere else to be. Just get your place in line. Why, it's enough to drive you bonkers, all this Easter rushing. Am I right? I know that I find myself saying more and more as I get older, I will be so glad when all of this Easter rush is over. Except that's not what it's like at all at Easter, is it? You know, for Christians, Christmas and Easter go together always. Christmas is full of the rushing. You would think that today should be even more so. But except for a few extra Hallmark cards and some chocolate, mostly it's quiet today. At 9.30 in the morning, there is no Easter rush today. Except for maybe a few people in the Gospel of John, here in John 20. Actually, John's resurrection story is full of rushing, isn't it? Full of rushing and running this morning. We hear it before we see it because it's still dark in the garden. And so really the first thing that we can hear before even the sunlight has penetrated the trees are the heavy steps of Mary and the labored breathing as she picks her way through the forest. In the garden, there's a tomb, and in the tomb, Jesus was laid on Friday evening. Why does she go back? Well, what does anyone ever go to a graveyard for? To be close to the person whom you've lost. To weep. To remind yourself that they are really gone. And any of those things or all of those things are what have brought her here today. But whatever brought her here today, she is not prepared for what she finds. Because what started as a stroll in the dark and in her grief has turned into a sprint. The tomb is open. It's heavy and permanent stone is out of place. And this puts her out of sorts. She thinks, thieves. After all that Jesus has been through, now thieves have taken his body and she is off at a race. She runs from the garden to find Peter and they run to find the beloved disciple whose name is really John. And Mary tells them what she's found or rather should we say what she hasn't found. Jesus is not there. I don't know where they've taken him. Mary's rushing is then met by John and Peter's rushing, and they run and they sprint, and they seem to be almost racing each other, pushing and jostling. And then John overtakes Peter, and he kicks it into high gear, and he leaves Peter in his dust. 
John gives us this strange detail. Did you notice that? And he's, he's lingering on it. It's not a very long reading, and he spends a lot of words on this. The running and the racing between the beloved disciple and Peter, it's described almost as though he's narrating a horse race. And there's a winner and there is a loser to boot. The beloved disciple gets there first. He says it twice, just in case we missed it. It's a competition, John says. They are rushing, John says. I got there first, John says. This is John's account of what he saw, and he's writing himself into the story. The disciple whom Jesus loved, as if that weren't already competitive enough. And there are actually several points in this story where John seems to have been vying with Peter. Do you remember Thursday's supper? John was resting right on the breast of Jesus right next to his heart while Peter was attempting to interview all of the other disciples and suss out who the betrayer was. It's almost as though John chose the better place. And then on the night before his death, On the trial before Annas, John notes that he was the one who had access into the inner courts, and he's the one who got John into the party in the first place, right? And then at the cross, John is asked to take care of his mother, not Peter. And when they pierce Jesus' side, it's John who swears on solemn oath that he is telling the truth about seeing the water and the blood flow from his inside. I'm the one who saw it, John is saying. John wants us to see that somehow he was first in the competition with Peter. First in devotion, first to the tomb, first to believe, best at comprehending what it all meant because he did it with the least evidence possible. Well, now that's certainly a strange thing to find in church in a story about Jesus and the gospel about Jesus. It's a little off-putting to see disciples vying, rushing, racing, competing with each other. How strange. How unspiritual. How very much like us. You could look at this note in John, and you could see this as just a reason to doubt the truth of this story. Actually, I think that John's honest, competitive note is just one more proof that this story is exactly true. Because John is describing how we are when it comes to the most important things in life. We compete. We rush. We try to be first. We rush to get the kids off to school. And by the way, have you seen the preschool waiting list lately? Everyone knows you got to get there first to get in. And kids rush with their siblings to tell mom a great story that happened on the playground. They all want to be the first to tell it. If you want the contract, your bid has to be first in price or promises, under budget and on time. Anyone tried to buy a house lately? Yeah, you know. No one takes the fifth offer. You got to be first. Investors want in on the ground floor. Scientists want the discovery. Scholars want the credit for the research. By the way, did you know, I learned this a while ago. I thought it was very interesting. Steve Jobs, the guy whom we credit for revolutionizing a lot of our technology, he was not actually that brilliant of an engineer. You know what he was really good at? Getting there first with other people's ideas. Getting there first is what we do. We rush to get to what is important. We have what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once famously called the drum major instinct. Deep down within all of us, he preached from the pulpit of Ebenezer Baptist Church in 1968, is an instinct, a kind of drum major instinct, a desire to be out in front, a desire to be first. We all want to be important to achieve distinction. And King says that though it begins innocently and early in life, where we ask life to put us first as adults, We still have the instinct, and that desire gets distorted and curved in on itself. And the desire to be first becomes what is behind social clubs and fraternities and behind even the racial struggle itself. 
And I would submit to you, he continued, that what is wrong with the world today is that the nations of the world are engaged in a bitter, colossal contest to be first. Fortunately, 50 years later, our world looks nothing like that. We rush, we race. We want to get there first when it's important and when it matters. But do you know what is striking to all of us about Easter Sunday morning? I didn't see anyone panting on the way in. I did not notice anyone wearing running shoes today. We filed into the sanctuary decently and in good order and on time. And why would we do anything else, my friends? Why would we do anything else on this day when there are so many tombs that are still full? Why would we do anything else when there is so much that feels out of our grasp unless we are the ones to grasp it? Why would we do anything else in a world of racing to be first? Why would we race here to the tomb of a man who was just declared by the entire world to be dead last. It would appear that when it comes to this story, that only fools rush in. And two fools do rush in this morning. They race. They compete with one another because they want to be first to the tomb. Peter, the fool-headed betrayer, is rushing to the disciple this morning. Do you remember the last thing that we heard from Peter? He told everybody three times on public record in front of witnesses, I swear I don't know Jesus. Jesus died, and so did Peter's identity as a good guy. Foolish John is rushed there too, and he's trying to get ahead of even Peter. John, who is head over heels in love with Jesus, dripping with passion for Jesus in his passionate gospel testimony. Friends, Jesus died and so did John's heart. We aren't told why Peter and John rushed, but it's not hard to imagine. What if there was the chance that there was something beyond our worst betrayals in life? What if our unfaithfulness and our disloyalty and our, our failure might not be the last word? What if the thing that you loved most dearly in the world, the thing that you thought was dead and gone forever, never to be returned, could in fact live again? What if in these ways it was even possible that death did not have the last word? Wouldn't you rush too? Peter and John rush to the tomb, tripping over each other, trying to get there first, and they find everything to be exactly as foolish Mary told them it would be. First, John looks in from the outside, seeing the linens, but then he hesitates. Peter blows right past him, rushes right in, and then he looks, and he sees these vacant linens gently arranged. He sees a headcloth folded and placed with intention where a head should be. And then John goes in after him and he looks too and he believes. What is that about? Friends, no one who steals a body takes the time to unwrap it and fold the linens. Folded laundry in a tomb is enough for John. Like a rush of blood to the head and the heart, John is filled with hope by this empty tomb. And across the open mouth of death, John rushes, he jumps, he leaps to conclusions. Jesus is not dead, which means, of course, that he is alive. And the best part, John notes, is that we didn't even know that this was Scripture being fulfilled yet. Those Scriptures... Right, that will reveal to John and Peter that they weren't just witnessing something miraculous in history. They were, in fact, witnessing the dawn of a new age. They were seeing the future. 
God's future, seeing that God's purpose for the world, which began at the beginning of time, is in fact real and will triumph. John and Peter are seeing that he who began the world in love and who began a good work in you will see it through to its finality and completion. In the empty tomb, John and Peter are standing in God's fulfilled promises. Death is defeated, Jesus was right, and now he's alive, and that changes everything. And all of this, all of this comes from some folded laundry. John gets there first, and it's almost a little bit like he's taunting us. Do you feel it? I got there first, he says. I beat even Peter, and I beat you too. Taunting us, goading us, challenging us, daring us to follow him. And do you know that through the centuries, millions have heard the taunt and accepted the challenge? I got there first, John says, and they take it up and follow after, and they find, too, something worth rushing for, deep and lasting life, which is, of course, what makes Jesus walking and rushing and dropping everything for a life so good that it can outlast death itself. Or as Paul put it, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, and we of all people are most to be pitied. Or in other words, if Jesus is not alive, it's April Fool's Day. But if it's true, well, then you are the first fruits of a new world. First to have tasted a life so full that it does not fluctuate with the stock market or property values or your own obedience. A life so full that you, in fact, now can freely empty yourselves for any and every other person you come across, where you can be first by being the servant of all. It's a life that Martin Luther King Jr. in the power of the Holy Spirit both received and sought to embody and described to us two months before his own assassination when he concluded that sermon saying this, Every now and then I think about my own death, my own funeral, and every now and then I ask myself what it is that I would once said. If you get somebody to deliver the eulogy, tell them not to talk too long. Tell them not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. I'd like someone to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to live his life serving others. I'd like for somebody on that day to say that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. If you want to say that I was a drum major, say that I was a drum major for justice, for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness and all of the other shallow things will not matter. We adore and we admire those words because King's life was compelling because he lived that way. But it isn't a life that makes any sense if Jesus is still dead. In fact, you could say it would have been the most foolish way to live, unless, of course, Jesus is not in the tomb. Which is exactly what John is saying to us this morning. Jesus is not in the tomb. He is not wearing grave clothes, but he's dressed in the glory of the one who has conquered death. John was there first, and he won't let us forget it. He beat us to the realization that the tomb is empty. John was there first. But there's still room next to him. If you can stomach the fact that you didn't get there first, if you are willing to fall in line behind John and Peter and the millions who have gone before you, There is, in fact, still room to stoop in and receive the good news yourself. Jesus' presence among us is as real as his absence from the tomb. It is as real as paper and ink from John's hand. It is as real as the sunlight through the window on your face. Amen. Lord Jesus, on Good Friday, everything good about you went to the tomb with you, and we were in despair. 
Today the tomb is open and everything about you is more true than we can imagine. We give thanks to you, Lord, for you are good and your mercy endures forever. We ask in the power of your Holy Spirit that we would go now and know and see how this resurrection is spiritually real in our hearts and in our lives. Send us in the power of your Spirit with eyes that are open so that we might see and seeing understand and understanding believe and believing that we might be following you even today in all faithfulness and obedience in the way that you have made for us through your body. Amen. Friends, the good news of Easter is always too big for us to handle on a single Sunday. And that is why together when we come into this place, we receive God's words together and not alone. And it's also why we reach for what the church has given us to understand these things. And so in the company of brothers and sisters who have spent their lives probing the depths of this mystery, would you rise and let's respond to God together, professing our faith in the Apostles' Creed. Together we say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Friends, let's sing together.
brothers and sisters, in a rush of good news, we walk, we crawl, we run. However, we leave this place sent by God in the power of the Holy Spirit and the good news that you have heard today. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Would you say these sending words with me? Sisters and brothers, we are people of the resurrection. God's good news gives meaning to our lives and motivation to our work. Following the women at the tomb and the men in the room, the church is sent, sent with the gospel of the kingdom of God, sent to make disciples of all people, to feed the hungry, and to proclaim the assurance that in the name of Christ there is forgiveness of sin and new life for all who repent and believe. We are sent to proclaim the good news. Our world belongs to God. Alleluia. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you pray with me? God of salvation, you have restored us to life. You have brought us back again into your love by the triumphant death and resurrection of Christ. Continue to heal us as we go to live and work in the power of your Spirit to your praise and glory. And all God's people said, Amen. Friends, may the, may the God of peace who raised to life the great shepherd of the sheep make us ready to do his will in every good thing through Jesus Christ to whom be glory forever and ever. Alleluia. Amen. Your 
forth in joy and love to serve God in all that you do. Go forth.